This is episode 53 of the Airport Experience News Podcast. I'm Ramon Lowe, your host and the publisher of Airport Experience News. And in this episode, I chat with Tyler Pittman of HMS Host. And actually, at the time that we recorded this, Tyler was just recently elevated to his current position of Vice President of Portfolio Development and Brand Partnerships. Now, a few reasons on why I'm chatting with Tyler. One, he deals with food. Two, July is one of our two annual food and beverage focused issues, so make sure you subscribe on airportxnews.com slash subscribe. And three, I want to bring in some newer faces, or in this case, voices to talk about the industry. So Tyler has been with Host for six years, and as you listen to the episode, he talks about growing up in the industry. Now he says this is the only industry he's ever known, but prior to airports, Tyler worked for celebrity chefs Bobby Flay and Todd English, the latter being his introduction to the world of airports. So you know, uh, working with brands and translating them into our space has been a job that has really fascinated me because you're really trying to fit something into a very complicated space and yet you can't lose any of the brands or the chef's essence. Or it could be that I just like food. Anyway, here is my conversation with Tyler Pittman. So I'm here with Tyler Pittman, the Vice President of Portfolio Development and Brand Partnerships with Bethesda, Maryland-based HMS Host. Tyler, thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Ramon, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, my pleasure. Oh, and by the way, you know, when we got started uh, in terms of like setting this thing up, uh, I do want to congratulate you on the promotion. Can I say that? Yes, you may. And I really uh, sincerely appreciate that. It's um, an honor to represent uh, HMS hosts in the capacity that I've now uh, been promoted to, uh, leading our brand partnerships team um, and the portfolio of our development forward is, um, is, is extremely exciting. It's something I'm really passionate about and fortunate that I've been given this opportunity. Um, a little bit about this episode and why you and I are speaking. Um, the July issue of the magazine, it's one of two annual issues where we focus solely on food and food trends. So really this episode or this podcast, I want to talk about really the food side of airports. And naturally, I, I personally, this is just a selfish thing, I love hearing about uh, the work that you guys do on with the brand side, developing concepts and really all the various points along the way where you're convincing stakeholders that this is a viable thing to do, you know, et cetera. And, and I'm, I'm referring to even before build out, before operations, before any of that. So selfishly, uh, that's what's really interesting to me. And this is why I wanted to have you on. So before we get into all of that, I want to talk a little bit about you and perhaps introduce you to any listeners who are not just familiar or maybe who are unfamiliar with you, but also maybe unfamiliar with the work that you do for HMS Host. So um, rather than stalk you on LinkedIn, which actually I already have anyway, but um, rather than stalk you on LinkedIn, you know, please share a bit about your background and really then eventually what brought you into airport. The journey into the restaurant world actually was an accident. I <laughs> was at Boston University. I thought I was uh, going to be James Bond. Uh, I wanted to be a diplomat, a foreign service agent, um, and declared my major early in international relations with the College of Arts and Sciences. Wow. Well, little did I know, two years in, I think my quest to be James Bond was uh, very slim and did not think that was going to come to fruition. And I was not a fan of the class titles that. I had found myself in and I wasn't really sure what to do. I had thought, you know, why not just kind of default to a business management degree? Um, I knew I wanted to be in business in some capacity. Managing people sounded a lot like a lot of fun um, and went to speak with my counselor. So I went in and uh, really she asked me what I liked to do. 
Um, and I told her I loved to throw parties um, and I loved <laughs> to have a great time. And with that response, I think it took her back a little bit, but I think it was the candor that had her then come back to me and say, well, did you know we had a hospitality program? And uh, as ignorant as I was at the time, uh, I had no idea Boston University had a school of hospitality administration. She then asked me if I wanted to go sit in on a few classes and I uh, reluctantly at the time accepted that offer. And I'm so glad that I did. I sat in on three or four different hospitality classes. I absolutely fell in love with the industry, uh, learning about not only food and beverage and wine, but hospitality and food and beverage uh, business, hotel management, restaurant management. Wow. It was something that I had no idea I was so passionate about. I had worked in restaurants, nightclubs, nightlife throughout college. Um, didn't look at it as a career, not really just a job to get money to pay bills, pay my rent. And when I fell into the school of hospitality, it, it kind of naturally was a fit for me. Found myself graduating from Boston University School of Hospitality. Was actually recruited by Pinnacle Advisory Group, um, which uh, owns and operates restaurants for Marriott at the time in their uh, manager and training program. Had signed on with them and was supposed to head out to Burbank, California, when I learned of a job with Bobby Flay's uh, organization, Bold Food, in mm -hmm. Manhattan. A friend of mine had worked for Bobby's organization, let me know that there was a management position opening at Mesa Grill, New York, which was his flagship restaurant um, at the time and unfortunately is no longer in operation today. Um, was fortunate enough to land an interview with Bobby's business partner, Lawrence Kretschmer. Uh, sat down in front of Lawrence and, and, you know, he honestly looked at me and said, why should I hire you? you know, it's New York City restaurant experience, celebrity chef driven restaurant. Typically, it's people that have, you know, five to 10 years of New York City restaurant experience already under their belt. Here you are, you know, fresh out of college. And, and I looked right at him and I said, if you give me a chance and an opportunity, I won't let you down. Very grateful for the chance and opportunity that Bold Food LLC gave me. Um, they offered me a job um, for a lot less money than I was recruited for out of college. But <laughs> I knew that I wanted to be on the restaurant side of the hospitality business. Politely declined Pinnacle Advisory Group. Decided not to go out to Burbank. Flew home four days later, put my suit on, and went to my first day of work for Mesa Grill. That's amazing because I know, like, like he said, Manhattan's pretty competitive. Um, or New York's pretty competitive and here you are just coming out of school. You obviously saw something in you to give you that shot. They, they did. And, you know, I never, I never looked back and I was fortunate enough to be with them for the better part of four years. Um, I ran Mesa Grill shortly thereafter. I was, you know, promoted through the ranks, um, found myself really being in charge of the restaurant. I went on to manage Bar American for Bold Food up in Midtown. Um, then left, um, got some restaurant casino experience underneath my belt and in Atlantic City at the Borgata with uh, Bobby Flay Steak. Then they sent me down to the Bahamas, down at Atlantis, uh, managing Mesa Grill, all to set me up for success when they asked me to go ahead up to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut and open Bar American. Um, nothing but the best foundation that they afforded me. Went and studied at American Sommelier Association during my time with Bobby. Um, to countless tequila classes, became an expert in chi uh, chili peppers, put me on a platform to know that I made the right choice um, when I made that switch in hospitality and uh, never looked back since. And the one thing that really jumped out at me um, through all that is you went through and, and worked in many different environments. It seems, you know, you were on the street side restaurants and casinos, et cetera. And it seems almost like a natural evolution or graduation 
into airports, which is completely, completely non-traditional. Absolutely. It was, you know, it was at a time in my career, Ramon, where I didn't say no. As you said, organically found my way growing through Bold Food. Um, you know, after Bold Food, I, I had, um, did a little bit of consulting in the interim, then went on to work for Todd English, which is really where the introduction into the airport world came from. Mm -hmm. Todd had uh, a couple of restaurants with HMS hosts. Um, at the time, I was vice president of operations and development alongside Jeff Steelman, who is now our vice president of culinary for HMS host. Um, and that's really was our first introduction into the restaurant atmosphere and environment. And uh, little did I know, I thought I knew a lot about restaurants. Six years into the airport and motorway business um, with HMS host, I'm still learning every day the difference in environments. And, and that's really what the spearhead of my job is introducing this environment to our partners and the, with the real goal of bringing the street into the airport so that there is a replicable dining experience for any traveler and the traveling public. These restaurants represent the cities that they're in. And by the foundation that I was fortunate enough to receive through restaurant operations and working in all of those different, envir different environments, we really to maintain our prominence and our position in the industry, really need to become a restaurant company and hire restaurant tours and think yeah. like a restaurant company. Uh, we both travel a lot, having open restaurants all over the world, and, and to, to be able to stay in the restaurant business and work in a travel environment and to really close the gap between the perception of the traveling public's interpretation of food in an airport but mm -hmm. to really be on the forefront of that change and introducing new chefs, new restaurants, new partners and building programs that people are now so excited to get to the airport early to go eat at, you know, one of the restaurants we're able to bring forward to them is, is truly um, what it, I'm passionate about that. So one of the things I like to ask, and I'm asking you now to look, think back six how many year plus years ago is, you know, what did you think about airports in the beginning? Because it's, again, um, I've spoken to several people about this who are completely new. You know, it's not like an environment, or at least at the time, even six years ago, you know, it's not an environment where you come out of in, in a hospitality degree or whatever saying, yeah, I want to get into that environment. And now you've transitioned into your principal job. And this is kind of like my next question is your uh, being interested to translate to these brand partners why they should get into the space. So what were your initial thoughts, I guess, about airports and airport food? It was the unknown. You know, I can honestly say when I, you know, we were opening restaurants in Kuwait and Mexico City and, you know, I've always been one to travel. And, um, so you f I found myself in airports often. Yeah. But I never stopped to, to think about the food service and the restaurant offerings and options within the airports that I was traveling. In. So it was being introduced to it through Todd's restaurants in the airport environment and then sitting and being fortunate enough to get close with Frank Sicklesmith, who was a, at the time vice president of restaurant development. My perception of the restaurant business in the travel venues was not the best, right? It was, kind of maybe some of the older legacy brands or maybe just very generic dining options, but to really understand that there was this transformation that was taking place and had started to take place and we could be a part of that. Um, I think that was the excitement to say, I love to travel. I love the global flavors. Mm -hmm. I love the restaurant business and have been fortunate 
to travel for the restaurant business to combine the two, it, it almost seemed to me like a perfect fit and a, a challenge that both Jeff and I, who came on within two weeks of each other, were really willing and willing to take. Well, it's funny. Let me just put my romantic hat on for a minute. Uh, you know, it's it's weird. It's funny that you say it, not funny, but it's great that you say that you love to travel and you love food. And I really can't think of any other place or industry where you can marry the two. Where if you're in an airport, obviously you're traveling to go and visit some other place. But food alone or itself, especially when you're sampling different cuisines, etc., that's probably at least the initial way to kind of introduce yourself to other cultures. I mean, I, you know, that's the Anthony Bourdain kind of approach, I guess, you know, because it kind of bridges the gap without actually having to travel to India to sample Indian food in your own backyard, that kind of thing. So that's, that's kind of a neat way to tie the two together. Absolutely. And it's, you know, and again, fortunate to be a part of it. There's not many other careers you can think of that really do tie the two together. I mean, mm-hmm. so much of the awareness that we have today in food and around food um, we have television to thank for. Yeah, you know, yeah. once upon a time there was one channel with, you know, you could count on two hands the celebrity chefs and who the <laughs> Iron Chefs were, and you yeah. know, the Wolfgang, the Emerald, and Bobby was a, a big part of food mm-hmm. television early on. And now you look at the transformation of that today, where there are so many networks dedicated to food. There are networks that are not dedicated to food that have several <laughs> food shows on you have yes. celebrity chefs has taken on a whole different world and meaning um every local city municipality county in certain instances has its own local celebrity chefs and and what that means now to the industry i think has carved out its own prominence and position which is why having my job and building the relationships with all of these different national brands, regional brands, local brands, chef-driven brands, really understanding how to build these programs to create complementary adjacencies mm-hmm. that really are catering to the traveler, giving someone that, whether they're in a rush to catch their flight or they're in an international flight and they listen to the airline and got there four hours in advance, they have all of these options to choose from, not only in category of food service, style of cuisine, but flavors and genre. So it's, it's really an interesting environment. Um, and again, one that I think is continuing to evolve. So you said for the last six years, uh, you've been working, uh, you've been in this industry with HMS Host and in portfolio development. And I want to key in on something that you just said, um, which I wholeheartedly agree with, you know, the, the consumer is a lot more um, educated now in terms of food and food offerings. It used to be, I mean, I didn't know at the time there were like a hundred types of mushrooms. I just knew there was like a button mushroom. And then now there's like, I know a, a couple more, you know, et cetera. So the, the consumer itself is educated. I'm just, it's just, I, is, is it the same then in your role now? And I'm going to transition into what it is that you do for HMS Host. Is it odd that um, you are not necessarily educating the, the concept or the chef or whatever about the space, or is it a little bit of both? It's, it's a two-way street. We really look at all of our partnerships when we understand what, what's required to be successful in this environment. We look at all of our partnerships and try to really sit down and educate. You're, you're, you don't need to teach a chef or a brand that's successful in their own right. And, and we really choose to partner with brands and chefs that are successful in their own right because that's what adds value to our portfolio. So you don't necessarily need to teach those brands how to operate to make their brands better. 
mm-hmm. or a chef how to combine different flavors and ingredients differently, they're actually teaching us that. That's really what we ask of them to impress upon our team, our operations team, our culture, as we look to build a partnership and identify a location together and really make sure that it's the right fit for both of us. Our job is more to point them to the differences in the environments. In a traditional restaurant environment, guests are making the choice to go there and dine. It's whether it be a QSR, a fast casual restaurant, again, which is usually a decision is made for price point, convenience, or speed, or it's a weekend, an occasion, a celebration. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to get drinks at a bar, a happy hour after work. I always used to tell my staff in operations prior to HMS Host, nobody signs a contract to come here. Nobody is obligated to make the selection to come to our restaurant. We're fortunate for every guest that we have, and we need to show appreciation for them. The, the difference in the airport environment is the number one reason that guests are choosing to be there is to fly. Yeah. Not that we don't have deplaning passengers and we do passengers that are arriving at their destination that may not rush out of the airport and they'll stop and they'll stop for a coffee or a meal, be whatever their scenario is for that given day. But the first and foremost, they're there to fly. So it's understanding the stresses of travel, understanding the types of convenience or decision-making factors that guests are weighing on before they make their decision or determination on where to go and eat before their flight, the amount of time that they have, and all of the different inputs that we study, just as you would study different demographical inputs if you're selecting traditional real estate on the street, more so for Uh, footfall, traffic area, um, net income in the immediate area, what's the residence versus the commercial day part look like in this traditional real estate. We look at very similar factors, um, but also in addition, what is the typical party size? You know, in our environment, we see parties of one and parties of two more than we see parties of any other size. What airlines are flying in this terminal? Where are they going? How long are the flights? Is it a long haul or are they regional jets? Um, How many people are on the planes? So we think about all of these different inputs along with some of the demographical inputs, female to male traffic, passenger, families, is it an origin or destination and destination airport only? Or is it a travel hub? Are there a lot of connecting flights? What's the difference in that? Leisure versus business travel. Those passengers behave differently. So all of those different inputs and then translating that to our partners and educating them on, fortunately, the statistical and history that we have as a company gives us so much data to pull from. And when we're able to pull from that data, in addition to the work and the research and the front end work that our business development team does with our partners or prospective partners and landlords, to being able to bring that information back to our partners and digest and then disseminate that information to them, allowing them to understand the difference in our environment and why those inputs influence the traveler's behavior. Um, And then how we craft our programs and select our partners to be successful. It's truly an equation and it's a very, very interesting, um, 
experience. So we're, we're learning their brand and we're teaching them our environment and together that understanding will breed success. Well, like you said, it, you're still learning. I mean, this thing is evolving. I, I've spoken to folks who have been in similar positions such as yours. And back then, this is at least a decade ago now, you know, they, the conversations were one way and some of the stuff does not change, but it's even six years in from when you started to now, you're having different conversations. Okay, we can't do that now, or we have to look at it this, this way. I guess my, my interest is really in the conversations, relationships that you have. Maybe you don't have to disclose who <laughs> or what concepts you, you had these types of conversations, but I'm sure I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall to hear why something will work, won't work, why you, got, you, you should think of it about doing it this way, et cetera. Because again, at the end of the day, and, and correct me if I'm wrong or I'm seeing it this way, you know, HMS hosts, whoever it is, you guys are the stewards of the brand in this space. They're pretty much handing you um, whatever it is, their concept, um, their vision, et cetera. And you guys, you guys are literally executing it, correct? So that's the, so I'd really love to know some of the great conversations you probably have with folks like that when it gets to the, the nitty gritty of being in this environment. Absolutely, Ramon. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's about trust. It's about mm -hmm. true partnership. It's about making sure that we, as well as our partners, feel that we're the best fit for them, that we're going to be the operating company that not only designs and keeps them included from the very first meeting we have, sometimes years before an opportunity even presents itself. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, through the entire development process, making sure that there's extreme transparent communication, that at all times we're um, being very upfront and honest through the entire opening process, um, all the way down the line through execution. You know, we're gonna build on time. We're going to execute your brand to the highest level possible. And we stand behind that. I am in this for the long haul. I am tied to this relationship um, as our uh, every member of my team, our operations team, our culinary team, our supply chain team, and all of the support resources, we're in this for the hall. And we want to make sure that, you know, to your point, we're representing our brands well. We are not a customer-facing brand at HMS mm -hmm. Host. We are becoming one now in capacities that we had not been before. But honestly, we're at our best when it's a seamless experience. When a guest walks into one of our restaurant locations, um, Starbucks is a great example, and they feel that they're at a regular Starbucks on the street that they would go to, you know, at the corner of their block in their neighborhood. That's when we're at our best. It's to create a seamless experience for our guests and the traveling public so that when they go into any operation, it is exceeding their expectation. It is communicating the brand as our partners would communicate it themselves. And we are a true mirror of the brand in our environment. And going back to something you mentioned, and a lot of, I'm finding that a lot of people who are listening uh, to, to my podcast now and some of these conversations that we're recording, it's important to know that the work that you're doing is starting way before, like you said, an opportunity arises. You're in there having conversations, whether you might do business with that chef or concept or not, but your, your conversation is going way before there is actually even not even a deal in place, but something that is tangible for HMS hosts and your partners to pursue at 
X airport? In, in many cases, it's years in advance. Mm -hmm. There are many instances and examples that I can point to where we have wonderful relationships with brand partners that have been established years ago that to this day we have not embarked on a journey together and, and brought the restaurant to fruition, typically just due to lack of not the right opportunity or the right fit. We tell all of our partners, it's gotta work for them and it has to work for us. And nothing is forced, it truly has to be a mutual partnership. We want our partners involved. We are not the company that wants to work with a partner and not hear from them very often or they um, trust us so much to the point where they back away and, and we don't maintain that connectivity. It is a true partnership. Um, we listen, we hear, and we respond and react um, proactively to any need that they have. And we ultimately build that trust that gives them the comfort for them to trust us in operating and executing their brand every day. So if, and this is going to be, uh, I want you to be a little selfish in this, in this, with this next question. So obviously the joy and the satisfaction comes with the execution of the brand, seeing something go from concept to completion, operation, et cetera. But there's got to be a part of you that really loves, I guess, solving a puzzle in some ways, right? I mean, how can you take concept X or chef X and say, I can really make you work. You need to come with us. And I don't know if the resistance or if the challenges are, no, I want to cook my, I want to cook it this way, but I can't. And you know, et cetera, you're, you're problem solving. So there, there's gotta be instances where that's the part of the job that you truly enjoy that. It is, you know, the, the problem solving and, and um, overcoming challenges and really interpreting a lot of restaurants that have never been introduced to this environment and bringing them exactly. in, allowing them feel comfortable. That is so much of the fun and the joy that we have. And, and as I said, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, it's really, a, it starts with that foundation and building the trust and the rapport. And then it really starts with transparent communication about what are the constraints? What are the guardrails? What are we limited to? First and foremost, understanding what are the capacities of the facility? What can we do here? can this space be fully vented with black iron and, and a type one hood and it can have grease exhaust or is there no venting uh, capable whatsoever? What are the building codes in the city? Are we able to find and come up with equipment that will meet the building code that is ventless or self vented now with all the infrared technology? So it's really about being on the forefront of what's happening in food whether you're in any environment in the restaurant business and then understanding what environment we're going into or we're looking at and evaluating and then being able to communicate that to our partners, being able to bring something forward to a partner, knowing that they would be able to deliver in it and then talking about them, about their willingness to um, work under different environmental constraints that they may not be used to. Um, some chefs, as you know, may not be willing to at all. Yeah. Chefs are having worked for two celebrity chefs in the earlier part of my career. They are, they're artists. They're extremely creative people. They are um, very particular about their craft and that's what makes them so valuable. So it's understanding what the environment entails. How can we adjust and cater to our partners? but also being extremely transparent about what we can and can't do. And typically those restrictions are environmental based on the facility that we're operating in. 
our job is really to just explain the different nuances in the airport world and then blend the two and marry them together to create a, a successful experience. Do you feel now that, you know, at one time, maybe you experienced this as well, they, uh, a lot of folks had to sell the concepts on the airport as an environment. And I'm sure that's probably happens now, maybe less, but I think the ratio is that now you're selling yourself, not so much the airport anymore. Is that, is that, is that accurate that you're finding? I would say generally speaking, yes. You have the large national brands that have non-traditional teams or operate in concession venues. Mm -hmm. um, and let's be clear, the airport's not a concessions venue. We're open 365 days a year, typically three meal periods a day, every day, more than most traditional restaurants are open. Um, but operating in this environment and understanding that so many of the national partners have teams dedicated for it or know this area of the business. Most of the chef-driven local restaurant concepts that don't necessarily have the airport or travel venue environment on their radar, that's yeah. where you're breaking into them and making them aware of the benefits and the reality of working in our environment. But yes, yeah. you know, you're certainly correct. The, the change that the airport environment has experienced over the last several years, I think now has carved out the airport space as a viable and exciting venue for chefs, brands, and, and restaurant groups. Um, now it's really pointing out the differences between operators, and there are many great operators out there, but mm -hmm. it's what sets us apart from some others that are out there and, and why they should trust us um, to deliver their concept and execute at a high level. I almost want to discount the the national brands, um, for, at least for this part, because I mean they are uh, pretty standardized, right? They have a um, they have uh, they have processes and procedures for making a burger, a taco, what a pizza, whatever it is. And I like the I I like to hear the stories, or at least more so on the challenges that you probably have in convincing the chef who has an awesome place in the city that would work well and represent the city well in the airport and he or she is reluctant to do that because again he or she has his has their um processes i'm sure on the street side and it works well but that's what you're afforded in a, a what a 500 square foot kitchen but what if you go into 100 square feet with minimal equipment you know those are the that's that's i think what's really interesting the national brands i just want to push them aside for now because i think that's pretty uh, almost straightforward in some ways but i think the 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 true artistry is with the chefs that you have to almost coax into getting into this environment and going with you to get into this environment. You're absolutely right, Ramon. And, and whether they're chef driven brands or just local iconic institutions, sure. I'll use the city of Boston as a great example. You know, we are, we've been so fortunate to be a part of the transformation of Logan and more than one of our partners, actually there are three or four that I can think of that, are iconic institutions to the city of Boston or the greater Boston area. They're restaurants that were founded as early as the 1930s and 1940s and never grew the comfort level, never understood or had the trust to work with anybody but the family that they grew up in or members of the family that have passed on the concept from generation to generation. And 
really garner those relationships over years time and several years time to really explain the credibility that we can bring to the table the fact that we're not trying to change anything that they're doing we want to replicate what they're known for and what they do so well and really bridge the gap on their comfort level where these families these restaurants would never ever think of franchising licensing having anybody but you know the wonderful woman that's worked for them for 45 years that's been the same lady and the only lady that's ever made um the meatball or the sausage in their concept and wrapping their heads around partnering with a a large organization like hms host to work in partnership and deliver their experience and, and their institution to a travel venue and again at boston's holds a special place in my heart because as I mentioned earlier, I went to school there. I lived there for a couple of years and these were restaurants that I visited and I frequented as a student. Um, and then building these relationships and having one of these restaurants, um, and I'm happy to say Kelly's Roast Beef open at Logan today and the journey that we embarked on, um, you know, with Brian Crawford and Dan Darty and the family and everyone that's been a part of the Kelly's enterprise for so long, to have them look at us and say, we trust you. We believe that you will stand by everything you've told us, not only in writing, but in practice and every day. And then to have that restaurant open now and be so successful in partnership with them and with how pleased they are with how we're executing, that we've lived up to everything we've talked about, that's the true reward. It's, it's the relationships that are poor and it's, we don't look to do things one-off. It's not, great, you fit our need for this given time moment or opportunity and we'll see you later. Our partnerships are longstanding. They're, you know, as you know, in our environment, the context can be seven, 10 plus years. We, we really look for people that we share synergies with and being able to just cultivate that partnership and relationship is the most rewarding thing about what we get to do every day. Well, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see and I'm glad this is the case. Um, it seems that the people outside of our little circle, our circle of industry, are now seeing airports as a really cool pl- and dynamic place. It's not the you know the airport that I remember as a kid flying in the '80s and the '90s, etc. You know, it, it's it's elevated. Now, and and evidence of that really is when I see media outlets like like Eater or the New York Times, Food Network, USA Today, who we have a partnership with, et cetera, they're doing lists and recognizing best of restaurants in, in an airport, et cetera. So now it's not so much as you know, the airport environment isn't thought of as that last bastion of, a, of real estate where a brand can hopefully continue its life. It's really now the launching pad for many things because of the environment that it is, as constrained as it is. I agree. It is, it is now become the gate. It's the gateway. Yep. For so many cities, it is the gateway to their city. It's how most visitors or residents get in and out of their city, whether they're traveling for business or going on vacation or visiting family. It's the first thing that people see when they arrive, and it's the last thing they see before they depart. I think because there are organizations like ours that execute at such a high level and the experiences that the traveling public are having, and many of these traveling public people are chefs and restaurant groups and brands, 
and they're seeing that transformation and sharing in that transformation, it's an exciting time. You know, travel is, is at its peak. It is increasing year over year with traffic. People are um, traveling for so many different reasons now. And it's really just fun to be a part of, you know, the, the travel venue and food and beverage in travel venues right now and, and you know, for the foreseeable future. No, no, definitely, definitely. So I got a couple more questions for you. And I was hoping not necessarily delve into, hey, let's talk trends, but how could I not <laughs> with you, right? You know, what are you currently seeing with regards to cuisine, service styles, concepts, et cetera, that are emerging? It doesn't have to be within the airport space. Maybe something that's out on the street, because I know eventually with the length of the contracts being in our space, such that they're much shorter now, that we can almost go toe-to-toe with what is on the street. You got the quality that's on the street, but now we don't have to wait and lag for to implement something that's hip and, and new. So what are you seeing out there that you feel uh, is kind of neat and that you'd lo- you personally would love to see in an airport. Well, I think you raise a great point. As I talked about our relationships that get started and cultivate years before things come to fruition, at the same time, our mindset is thinking forward, always thinking about not what's hot and on trend today. Where are, will we be in a year? Where will we be in three years? Where will the industry and the food industry, when I say industry, not travel, where will the food industry be in one, three, and five years from now? Everything that we're doing with trends, again, always coming back to bridging that gap by bringing the street to the airport is really focused in on what are the trends across the entire industry in food. So for us, when we really look at that, right, there's no secret that health and wellness, sustainability, traceability of ingredients, which really brings supply chain into a whole nother category of its own that now more than ever, people are more conscious of what they're eating. Um, They're not only conscious of what they're eating or what choices they're making to eat, but where is their food coming from? I was reading an article the other day that in 2018 had the highest consumption of red meat since 2004. (laughs) And it's it's been a seesaw and it's gone up and down and it's fluctuated so much with all of these um, plant-based concepts that are specific to plant-based items or the introduction of plant-based alternatives and health and wellness. And while that trend also continues to rise, the statistic that I read 2018, the highest red meat consumption almost threw me off, but it's, it's showing that the global flavors and the care to the traceability and sustainability of all food, where did that protein come from? Was it raised and treated sustainably and and health consciously through the course of its life? Um, The traceability of ingredients for all produce and really the life cycle and the carbon footprint that these ingredients are having on the environment overall, there are things that years ago we would never think of. That is around food and the ingredients and how you build menus and what types of things you want to have available for your guests. All of these different food sustainability, traceability, wellness trends are really on trend and will be on trend for quite some time. Well, you guys have it because uh, to, you know, push a little bit of the initiative that host has, you know, the eat well, travel further where you know wellness is a big key. Now that's, that's more the grab and go and prepared food section, but it's still a big part of people who are on the move and still want to 
have something that's healthy and satisfying and, you know, et cetera. Our Eat Well, Travel Further program has been so well received, uh, not only from the national press we've gotten, but from the people that we almost care more about, the day-to-day traveler. You know, we constantly get people um, tweeting or Instagramming the different bento boxes and the different snack pots we have that are just bringing that health forward ingredient to the forefront, right? The old adage in the travel environment used to be, well, I'm at the airport. I can never get anything that's healthy or that's good for me or that makes me feel good before I get on the plane. And we are very much a part of and on the forefront of bringing that change to the environment. Eat Well, Travel Further is such a great example of that by putting together health forward and health conscious items. And don't get me wrong, they're, they're all flavorful. Yeah, they still taste good. <laughs> they taste fantastic. And it's the combination of health and wellness with the bold flavors and combinations of ingredients that our you know, industry leading culinary team and hats, uh, tip of the hat to them, do such a great job every day, um, making sure that you know, we are on the forefront of this. And, and that program that we mentioned, Eat Well, Travel Further, it's evolving every day, every mm-hmm. month, every season, you know, as all things in food do evolve daily. And, and we need to do the same in our industry to be the leader. Just, just so you know, just that, so you have an idea of how far that this industry has come. I remember when I started with ARN, well, it's AXN now, but when it was ARN uh, uh, almost 15 years ago, and I would start with doing surveys, you know, to, to write a little bit for the magazine, et cetera. And one of the things that I was tasked with was surveying the industry, uh, operators, airports, et cetera, on various topics. And one of the topics I did was, you know, uh, what are some of the healthy options that you provide your travelers? And I'm not kidding, because I, I need to dig this up in our archives, but some of the answers were, well, we have apples and bananas. <laughs> and obviously we graduate from that, but that's, you know, that, that, that's amazing. Um, anyway, my, my last question for you, Tyler, and I don't want to hold you up is, you know, I want you to kind of look into the future a little bit. Um, I know that as opportunities in our industry come up with airports, the, the, the airport itself, the region, the city, et cetera, dictates pretty much, not dictates, but can kind of influence what you, what should go into a program. You said it yourself, the demographic, the flyers, the destinations, et cetera. So the big debate I always have, I seem to have with airports, operators, et cetera, is you know, the right mix of your national to local to proprietary. And you guys do all three. I'm not going to hold you to it. So I'm going to say that right now. But if you had, to, if you had your choice, you know, what would be the optimal mix for you, knowing that you're a restaurateur, by the way? But what would be the mix? <laughs> Well, I appreciate the, uh, the precursor to that question. And at, at first, I'm going to provide a little bit of a safe start to the answer. <laughs> that every airport's different, right? Yes. So if it's a small regional airport that's typic- typically an origin and destination airport and not a travel hub or a connecting hub, um, there's going to be a slightly different mix or need for mix than you would if it's a large international terminal, international airport or, or, or travel hub. So that's the first thing that would really drive what that optimal mix is. Um, second of all, it's really a true balance. And it's a true balance where you can afford something in the category that doesn't necessarily need the recognition, we can go proprietary. And we yes. can bring something with our industry-leading culinary and 
proprietary restaurant development team to create something that fits the need, fits the niche in a certain environment. Um, never taking anything away from the established name that national brands have, and that's across both categories of food service, uh, although there are more than two, but predominantly the casual dine bar forward concepts and the QSR fast casual concepts. National brands are national for a reason. They help people make decisions quickly. They know what to expect. They know what they're getting. Um, it's, there's less experimentation or risk involved with that selection. So they are always going to be something in every program um, that will be uh, a part, whether it's a new and emerging national brand, whether it's a legacy national brand. Um, and then you really look at the local and regional brands, restaurant groups that have two, three, four, 10, 15 restaurants in a particular demographic, in a particular city that are known for representing that city's fare, um, bringing that food forward with local ingredients and local choices. Again, you really want to bring something forward that will be established enough to be recognized by the audience in that airport. Because that trust, when again, they're there to fly first and foremost, and typically the dwell time they have between security and boarding their flight has now with people and technology and, and um, you see that people are spending, are being a lot more efficient about their travel, their time that they're taking to make the decision on where they're going to eat um, is relatively fast. And we need to be able to create a program that is a true balance of national, regional, and local brands, depending on the airport and environment that we're in, and certainly bringing forward proprietary or what we would call proprietary licensed brands um, by way of a craft beer, which you're seeing on trend in the environment, a distillery, um, a vineyard or, or series of groupings of vineyards. Um, there are so many you know, athletic teams. There are so many different outside the box things we're also trying to do that license a, a concept and allows our proprietary team to marry the food and beverage experience to that concept. So I hope that answered your question without providing <laughs> um, you know, figures or, or statistics. It is really, truly a balance. We try to analyze every program differently depending on the need of the traveler in that particular airport, the time that they have, and craft a program that's truly complementary between all of the different locations and, and brands that we bring forward. That was very presidential and political. So Pittman 2020 coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be I too funny. I know that I'm made for politics, but I appreciate the vote. <laughs> well, Tyler, um, this has been great. I have a feeling we're going to be talking again. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a pin on it and make sure we do. Again, I know you're busy. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Ramon, it's my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, again, something that I'm extremely passionate about. I've known no other industry. Um, and thank you for the consideration for having me on and would be happy to continue this conversation at any time. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Tyler Pittman. Please make sure to listen to some of our more recent episodes and please feel free to share. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. And as always, thanks for listening.